The Hobbit, or There and Back Again, by J.R.R. Tolkien. Chapter 1. An Unexpected Party In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. Not a nasty, dirty, wet hole, filled with the ends of worms and an oozy smell. Nor yet a dry, bare, sandy hole with nothing in it, to sit down on or to eat. It was a hobbit hole. And that means comfort. Do you know where you are? You are in an endless epic. And here there be hobbits and dragons eventually. Hobbitses. Hobbitses. Nasty hobbitses. Uh, Eventually. Eventually. Eventually, And I fully expect you to get like a perfect Smeagol voice, by the way. I'm just going to... Throw that oh, in there. do you? Yeah, that's not gonna happen. I, I I expect you to watch thirty-seven hours of Andy Circus to get the perfect Hobbits' voice. Thirty-seven hours. Yeah, because they say Andy 30, 37 hours of Andy Circus is enough for you to get any of his accents. Oh God. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Pro- professional studiers of Andy Circus have suggested that this is all it takes. What do you do for a living? Uh, I study Andy Circus. Ah, I hear that's a noble living. I hear yeah, that's, that's a, quite a noble a, profession. Quite a noble calling. All right. Yeah, definitely. So we are now here in a long-requested series, uh, The Hobbit. Uh, oh, yeah. The works of J.R.R. Tolkien. Probably one of the most Very legendary exciting. writers of all time. Definitely. Um, gets a lot of cr- uh, gets a lot of grief nowadays, but apparently it's so boring. Yes, yes. We if you if you guys want to go back and listen to our Friday rant from last week, um, we read the one star reviews of The Hobbit on Google, um, most of which were probably from children, all of which Boy were from it. people who yeah. didn't finish the book. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I tell you what. That's who I trust to, for my reviews. Yeah. Anyone anyone who didn't make it all the way through, I trust you to review the product. 100%. 100%. So, let us continue with the now actual legendary description of A Hobbit's Hole. Right. <laughs> it had a perfectly round door, like a porthole, painted green a shiny yellow brass knob in the exact middle. The door opened onto a tube-shaped hole like a tunnel. A very comfortable tunnel, without smoke, with paneled walls, and floors tiled and carpeted, provided with polished chairs and lots and lots of pegs for hats and coats. The Hobbit was fond of visitors. The tunnel wound on and on, going fairly, but not quite straight, into the side of the hill. The hill, as all the people for many miles round called it. And many little round doors opened out of it, first on one side and then on the other. No going upstairs for hobbits' bedrooms, bathrooms, cellars, pantries, lots of these. Wardrobes, he had a whole rooms devoted to clothes. Kitchens, dining rooms, all were on the same floor. And indeed, in the same passage. The best rooms were all on the left-hand side, going in. 
for these were the only ones to have windows. Deep-set round windows looking over his garden and meadows beyond sloping down to the river. The hobbit was a very well-to-do hobbit, and his name was Baggins. The Bagginses had lived in the neighborhood of the hill for time out of mind, and people considered them very respectable, not only because most of them were rich, but also because they never had any adventures or did anything unexpected. You could tell what a Baggins would say on any question without bothering to ask him. This is the story of a Baggins who had an adventure, and found himself doing and saying things altogether unexpected. He may have lost the neighbor's respect, but he gained, well, you'll see whether he gained anything in the end. The mother of our particular hobbit. What is a hobbit? I suppose hobbits need some description nowadays, since they have become rare and shy of big people, as they call us. They are, or were, the little people, about half our height, and smaller than the bearded dwarves. Hobbits have no beards. There is little or no magic about them, except the ordinary everyday sort which helps them disappear quietly and quickly when large, stupid folk like you and me come blundering along, making a noise like elephants which they can hear a mile off. They are inclined to be fat in the stomach. They dress in bright colors, chiefly green and yellow. Wear no shoes because their feet grow natural leathery soles and thick warm brown hair like the stuff on their heads, which is curly. They <clears throat> have long clever brown fingers, good-natured faces, and laugh deep fruity laughs, especially after dinner, which they have twice a day when they can get it. Now you know enough to go on with. As I was saying, the mother of this hobbit, of Bilbo Baggins, that is, was famous Belladonna Took, one of three remarkable daughters of the old Took, head of the hobbits who lived across the water, the small river that ran at the foot of the hill. It was often said, in other families, that long ago one of the Took ancestors must have taken a fairy wife. That was, of course, absurd. But certainly there was still something not entirely hobbit-like about them. And once in a while, members of the Took clan would go and have adventures. They discreetly disappeared, and the family hushed it up. But the fact remained that the Tooks were not as respectable as the Bagginses, though they were undoubtedly richer. Not that Belladonna Took ever had any adventures after she became Mrs. Bongo Baggins. Bongo, that was Bilbo's father, built the most luxurious hobbit hole for her, and partly with her money. That was to be found either under the hill or over the hill or across the water. And there they remained to the end of their days. Still, it is probable that Bilbo, her only son, although he looked and behaved exactly like a second edition of his solid and comfortable father. 
got some of a bit queer in his makeup from the talk side. Something that only waited for a chance to come out. The chance never arrived, until Bilbo Baggins was grown up. Being about 50 years old or so, and living in the beautiful hobbit hole built by his father, which I have just described to you, until he had, in fact, apparently, settled down immovably. By some curious chance, one morning long ago, in the quiet of the world when there was less noise and more green, the hobbits were still numerous and prosperous, and Bilbo Baggins was standing at his door after breakfast, smoking an enormous long wooden pipe that reached nearly down to his woolly toes, neatly brushed. Gandalf came by. Gandalf! If you had heard only a quarter of what I've heard about him, I have only heard very little of all there is to hear, and you would be prepared for any sort of remarkable tale. Tales and adventures sprouted up all over the place, wherever he went, in the most extraordinary fashion. He had not been down that way under the hill for ages and ages, not since his friend the old Took died. In fact, the hobbit had almost forgotten what he'd looked like. He had been over he had been away over the hill and across the water on business of his own since they were all small hobbit boys and girls. All that the unsuspecting Bilbo saw that morning was an old man with a staff. He had a tall pointed blue hat, a long grey cloak, a silver scarf over which his long beard hung down below his waist, and immense black boots. <clears throat> Good morning, Bobo. That is... Oh, sorry. <clears throat> You're right. I was. I uh, totally got that wrong. <laughs> we're gonna. We're gonna go back. We're gonna back that up. <clears throat> Good morning, said Bilbo, and he meant it. The sun was shining and the grass was very green, but Gandalf looked at him from under his long, bushy eyebrows that stuck out further than the brim of his shady hat. What do you mean? He said. Do you wish me a good morning? Or that it is a good morning whether I want it or not? Or that you feel good this morning? Or that it is a good morning to be... That is a morning... <clears throat> or that it is a morning to be good on? All of them at once, said Bilbo. And a very fine morning for a pipe of tobacco out uh, of doors. Into the bargain. If you have a pipe about you, sit down and have a fill of mine. There's no hurry. We have all day before us. Then Bilbo sat on the seat by his door, crossed his legs, and blew out a beautiful grey ring of smoke that sailed up into the air without breaking and floated away over the hill. Very pretty, said Gandalf. But I have no time to blow smoke rings this morning. I'm looking for someone to share in an adventure that I am arranging and 
it's very difficult to find anyone. I should think so, in these parts. We are plain quiet folk and have no use for adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things make you late for dinner. I think what anybody sees in them... Oh, hold on. <clears throat> I can't think of what anybody sees in them. Said Mr. Baggins and stuck one thumb under his braces, blew another even bigger smoke ring. Then he took out his morning letters and began to read, pretending to take no more notice of the old man. He had decided that he was not quite his sort and wanted him to go away. But the old man did not move. He stood leaning on this, his stick and gazing at the hobbit without saying anything. Until Bobo, until Bilbo got quite uncomfortable and even a little cross. Good morning, he said at last. We don't want any adventures here, thank you. You might try over the hill or cross the water. By this, he meant that the conversation was at an end. What a lot of things you do use good morning for, said Gandalf. Now you mean that you want to get rid of me, and that it won't be good until I'm off. Not at all. Not at all, my dear sir. Let me see. I don't think I know your name. Yes. Yes, my dear sir. And I do know your name, Mr. Bilbo Baggins. And you do know my name, though you don't remember that I belong to it. Almost read that really weird. <laughs> I am Gandalf, and Gandalf means me. To think that I should have lived to be good morning to buy Belladonna Took's son as if I was selling buttons at the door. Gandalf! Gandalf! Good gracious me! Not the wandering wizard that gave old Took a pair of magic diamond studs that fastened themselves and never came undone till ordered? That fellow who used to tell such wonderful tales at parties about dragons and goblins and giants and the rescue of princesses and the unexpected luck of widows' sons? Not the man that used to make such particularly excellent fireworks. I remember those. Old Took used to have them on Midsummer's Eve. Splendid! They used to go up like great lilies and snapdragons and laburnums and of... What is that word? Laburnums of, of fire. Fire, alright. Laburnums of fire and hang in the twilight all evening. You will notice already that Mr. Baggins was not quite so prosy as he liked to believe. Also, that he was very fond of flowers. Dear me. Are you going to read your I line? think you froze on my side. Either that or you're just sitting there very still. I am not sitting here very still. I did definitely froze. I'm going to keep my audio going. Okay, you're... you're <laughs> oh... Am I back? Yeah, you're back. You're back. Okay. <clears throat> Dear me. He went on. Not the Gandalf who was responsible for so many quiet lads and lasses going off into the blue for mad adventures. Anything from climbing trees to visiting elves or sailing in ships, sailing to other shores. Believe... No, no. Bless me. 
life used to be quite inter... I mean, used to upset things badly in these parts once upon a time. I beg your pardon, but I had no idea you were still in business. Where else would I, should I be? The yeah, do that, do that, do that kind of like whimsical, like deep throat. And where else should I be? Like I, I like yeah. that. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Said the wizard. All the same, I am pleased to find you remembering something about me. You seem to remember my fireworks kindly. At any rate, God, I can't read right now. At any rate, and that it is not without hope. Indeed, for your old grandfather Took's sake, and for the sake of poor Belladonna, I will give you what you asked for. I beg your pardon? I haven't asked for anything. Yes, you have. Twice now. My pardon. I give it to you. In fact, I will go so far as to send you on this adventure. Very amusing for me, very good for you, very profitable too. Very likely, if you ever get over it. Sorry? I don't want any adventures, thank you. Not today. Good morning. But please come to tea anytime you like. Why not tomorrow? Come tomorrow. Goodbye. With that, the hobbit turned around and scuttled inside his round green door and shut it quickly as he dared. Not to seem rude. Wizards, after all, are wizards. What on earth did I ask him for tea? Ask him to tea for? He said to himself as he went to the pantry. He had only just had breakfast, but he thought a cake or two and a drink of something would do him good after his fright. Gandalf, in the meantime, was still standing outside the door and laughing long and quietly. But after a while, he stepped up with a spike on his staff and scratched a queer sign into the hobbit's beautiful green front door. Then he strode away. Just about the time when Bilbo was finishing his second cake and beginning to think he had escaped adventures very well. The next day, he had almost forgotten about Gandalf. He did not remember things very well, unless he put them down in his engagement tablet. Like this. Gandalf, tea, Wednesday. Yesterday he had been too flustered to do anything of the kind. Just before tea time, there came a tremendous ringing on the front door bell. And then he remembered. He rushed to put on the kettle and put out another cup and saucer and an extra cake or two and then ran to the door. I am so sorry to keep you waiting. He was going to say when he saw that it was not Gandalf at all. It was a dwarf with a blue beard tucked into a golden belt and very bright eyes under his dark green hood. As soon as the door was opened, he pushed inside just as if he had been expected. He hung his hooded cloak on the nearest peg and... Dwellen, at your service, he said with a low bow. Bilbo Baggins, at yours, said the hobbit, too surprised to ask any questions for the moment. When the silence that followed had become uncomfortable, he added,
Uh, hold on. Oh, okay, there I am. I am just about to take tea. Pray come and have some with me. Did I say that right? Yeah. Uh, I am just uh, about to take tea. Pray come and have some with me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. And a little stiff, Why? a little stiff perhaps, but he meant it kindly. And what would you do if an uninvited dwarf came and hung his things up in your hall without a word of explanation? They had not been at the table long. In fact, they had hardly reached the third cake when there came another even louder ring at the bell. Excuse me, said the hobbit, and off he went to the door. So you got here at last. That was what he was going to say to Gandalf. But this time, this time, but it was not Gandalf. Instead, it was a very old-looking dwarf on a step, on the step with a white beard and a scarlet hood. And he too hopped inside as soon as the door was open, just as if he had been invited. I see you've begun to arrive already. He said when he caught the sight of Dwalin's green hood hanging up. He hung his red one next to it, and... Olin, at your service. He said with his hand on his breast. Thank you, said Bilbo with a gasp. It was not quite correct, it was not quite the correct thing to say, but they have begun to arrive had flustered him badly. He liked visitors, but he liked to know them before they arrived, and preferred they ask... preferred to ask them himself. He had a horrible thought that the cakes might run short, and then he, as the host, he knew his duty and stuck to it however painful. He might have to go without. Come along in and have some tea. He said, he managed to say after taking a deep breath. A little beer would suit me better if it is all the same to you, my good sir. Said Bolin, with the white beard. But I don't mind some cake, seed cake, if you have any. Okay, so I was going to say, real quick. Go ahead and just give all of the dwarfs the same accent. That way you don't have to remember who's who. Yeah. Because there are there are 12 of them. Yeah. So... Well, so okay. Here's what I'll do. I'll try to I'll try to remember like the the ones that are a little bit older and make them sound a little bit more like grizzled. Yeah. Yeah, like slower talking, and then the younger ones I'll just give kind of like a little bit higher upbeat. They're all gonna be Scottish. I see. You. I see. You. I just feel like doors are Scottish. I don't know. No offense to anybody Scottish. No offense to any dwarves. No offense to any dwarves who don't want to be Scottish. Just, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> Lots. Bilbo found himself answering to his own surprise, and he found himself scuttling off to, to the cellar to fill a pint beer mug and then to the pantry to fetch two beautiful round seed cakes, which he had baked that afternoon for his after-supper morsel. When he got back, Balin and Wallen were talking at the table like old friends. As a matter of fact, they were brothers. Bilbo plumped down the beer and the cake in front of them, when loud came a ring from the bell again, and then another ring. Gandalf, for certain this time. 
He thought as he puffed along the passage, but it was not. It was two more dwarves, both with blue hoods, silver belts, and yellow beards, and each of them carried a bag of tools and a spade. In they hopped as soon as the door began to open. Bilbo was hardly surprised at all. What can I do for you, my dwarves? He said. Killy, at your service, said the one. And Philly, added the other, and they both swept off their blue hoods and bowed. And at yours and your family's, replied Bilbo, remembering his manners this time. Dwallin, Bolin, here already I see, said Keely. Let us join the throng. Throng? Thought Mr. Baggins. I don't think that's... Oh, hold on. I don't like the sound of that. I really must sit down for a minute and collect my wits and have a drink. He had only just had a sip in the corner while the four dwarves sat around the table and talked about mines and gold and troubles with goblins and the depreciations, the depredations of dragons and lots of other things which he did not understand and did not want to for they sounded much too adventurous when ding-dong-a-ling-dang his bell rang again as if some naughty little hobbit boy was trying to pull the handle off someone's at the door uh, that, that is, Wait, that is, is Bilbo. That, is that, is Bilbo. that Bilbo? Someone's at the door? He said, blinking. Some four, I should say by the sound. Said Philly. Besides, we saw them coming along behind us in the distance. The poor little hobbit sat down in the hall and put his head in his hands and wondered what had happened and what was going to happen and whether they would stay to supper. Then the bell rang again louder than ever, and he had to run to the door. It was not four, after all, it was five. Another dwarf had come along while he was wandering in the hall. He had hardly turned the knob before they were all inside, bowing and saying, at your service, one after another. Dori, Nori, Ori, Oin, and Gloin were their names, and very soon, two purple hoods, a grey hood, a brown hood, and a white hood, were hanging on the pegs, and off they marched, with their broad hands stuck in their gold and silver belts to join the others. Already it had become a throng. Some called for ale, some for porter, and one for coffee, and all of them for cakes. So the hobbit was kept very busy for a while. A big jug of coffee had just been set in the hearth, the seed cakes were gone and the dwarves were starting on a round of buttered scones when there came a loud knock. Not a ring, but a hard rat-tat on the hobbit's beautiful green door. Somebody was banging with a stick. Bilbo rushed along the passage, very angry and altogether bewildered and bewathered. This was the most awkward Wednesday he had ever remembered. He pulled open the door with a jerk, and they all fell in one on top of another. More dwarves. Four more. And there was Gandalf behind, leaning on his staff and laughing. 
He had made quite a dent in the beautiful door. He had also, by way, knocked out the secret mark that he had put there the morning before. Carefully, carefully, he said. It is not like you, Bilbo, to keep friends waiting on the mat and then open the door like a pop gun. Let me introduce Piffer, Bofer, Bumber, and especially Thorin. At your service. Said Biffer, Bofer, and Bumber, standing in a row. Then they hung up two yellow hoods and a pale green one, and also a sky-blue one with long silver tassels. The last belonged to Thorin, an enormously important dwarf, in fact, no other than the great Thorin Oakenshield himself, who was not at all pleased to be falling flat on Bilbo's mat with Biffer, Bofer, and Bomber on top of him. For one thing, Bomber was immensely fat and heavy. Thorin, indeed, was very haughty and said nothing about service. But poor Mr. Baggins said he was sorry so many times that at last he grunted, Pray don't mention it. And stopped frowning. Now we are all here, said Gandalf, looking at the row of thirteen hoods. The best detachable party hoods, and his own hat hanging on the pigs. Quite a merry gathering. I hope there is something left for the latecomers to eat and drink. What's that? Tea? No, thank you. A little red wine, I think, for me. And for me, said Thorin. And raspberry jam and apple tart, said Biffer. And mince pies and cheese, said Bofer. And pork pie and salad, said Bomber. And more cake and ale and coffee, if you don't mind. Called the other doors through the door. <clears throat> Put on a few eggs. There's a good fellow. Gandalf called after him as the hobbits stumped off to the pantry. And just bring out the cold chicken and pickles. Seems to know as much about the inside of my large as I do myself. Thought Mr. Baggins, who was feeling positively flummoxed, and was beginning to wonder whether a most wretched adventurer had not come right into his house. By the time he had got all the bottles and dishes and knives and forks and glasses and plates and spoons and things piled up on big trays, he was getting very hot and red in the face and annoyed. Confusticated and be bothered these dwarves, he said aloud. Why don't they come and lend a hand? Lo and behold, there stood Bolin and Wallen at the door of the kitchen, and Feely and Keely behind them, and before he could say knife, they had whisked the trays and a couple of the small tables into the parlor and set out everything afresh. Gandalf sat at the head of the party, with thirteen dwarves all around, and Bilbo sat on a stool at the fireside and nibbling a biscuit. His appetite was quite taken away and trying to look 
as if this was all perfectly ordinary and not in the least an adventure. The dwarves ate and ate and talked and talked, and time got on. At last they pushed their chairs back and Bilbo made a move to collect the plates and glasses. I suppose you will all stay to supper, he said in his politest, unpressing tones. Of course, said Thorin. And after, we shan't get through the business till late, and we must have some music first. Now to clear up. Thereupon the twelve dwarves, not Thorin, he was too important, and stayed talking to Gandalf, jumped to their feet, and made tall piles of all the things. Off they went, not waiting for the trays, balancing columns of plates, each with a bottle on the top. And with one hand, while the hobbit ran after them, almost squeaking with fright. Please be careful. And Please. Oh, sorry, I said it. Please don't trouble. I can manage. But the dwarves started to sing. Ship. Together. Do you want to? Do you want to try it? All right, we can try. Let's go for it. You ready? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Three, two. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's do a countdown. Okay. Three, three, two, one. one. Chip, chip the glasses. Chip the glasses and crack the plates. Blunt the knives and bend the forks. That's what Bilbo Baggins hates. Smash the bottles, burn the corks. Cut the cloth and tread on... Well, I actually don't know the tune either. Cut the cloth and... Uh, yeah, I don't know the tune either. Ah, oh, you know what? Hang on. Yeah. Hang on, hang on, hang on. We should actually look this up. Because I feel like it's necessary. Uh, hang on. Oh, well, whoops. Just out here recording uh, somebody else's YouTube video. Nice. Okay. Uh, where's the old one? Uh, all right, well. Oh, here we go. Here we go. The, the Ballad of Bilbo Beckins. That's not it. That's an ad. Hang on a second. <laughs> Hanging. Just gotta wait for this Geico commercial to be over. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Nope, that's not it either. Uh, maybe from the film? Hang on. Okay, hang on a second. 
can just have a big old dead spot where we're trying to figure out the tune to this song. Yep. Uh. You're gonna have to put out like two minutes. Okay, here. I was looking for the cartoon because the film is no good. Okay, I'm going to share the screen with you so that you can uh, hear it as well. That way we can, we can do it together. That's what it is, man. What? Did you hear it? I said nothing showing up for me. Nothing's showing up for you. Yeah, I've got nothing. It's that can't just a loading screen. That can't be right. How about now? See, there's a longer version that is uh, in the movie, but it's just, it's not the same. Yes, playing the, the tea kettle. Absolutely. Okay, I'm going to minimize that now. And then we're going to stop that and get you back to full I mean, screen I feel like over here. We were, we were pretty close. Chip the glasses, clack. Okay, so it's chip the glasses, crack the plates, so blunt the knives, and bend the forks. No, no, see, we're missing something here. We're missing something Music. in the spirit of the song. Music. Maybe, okay. but we don't We're, need music. We, we, we are killing time here, bro. We still okay. have a lot right. of pages to go through. Chip the grasses, crack the plates, blunt the Get knives the and knives bend and the forks. That's, That's what, what Bilbo Baggins hates. Smash the Smash bottles, the burn the corks. Cut the cloth and tread the fat. Pour the milk on the pantry floor and leave the bones on the bedroom mat. 
Splash the wine on every door. Yeah, we're, we're, you know what? You and I are gonna, you and I are gonna figure out how to sing this, and then we're gonna, we're gonna upload something that's entirely different to the Endless Epic YouTube channel. Okay? Sweet. Love yeah, it. we're gonna do an actual yeah. song. Dump the crocs in the boiling bowl. Pound them up with a thumping pole. And when you've finished, if you are whole, if any are whole, send them down the hall to roll. That's what Bilbo Baggins hates. So carefully, carefully with the plates is the song. <laughs> and of course, they did none of these dreadful things, and everything was cleaned and put away safe as quick as lightning. And while the hobbit was turned round and round in the middle of the kitchen, trying to see what they were doing, they went back and found Thorin with his feet on the fender smoking a pipe. He was blowing the most enormous smoke rings, and wherever he told one to go, it went. Up the chimney, or behind the clock on the mantelpiece, or under the table, or round and round the ceiling. But wherever it went, it was not quick enough to escape Gandalf. Pop! He sent a smaller smoke ring from his clay, short clay pipe straight through each one of Thorin's. Then Gandalf's smoke ring would go green and come back to hover over the wizard's head. He had a cloud of them about him already, and in the dim light it made him look strange and sorcerous. Bilbo stood still and watched. He loved smoke rings. And then he, he blushed to think how proud he had been yesterday morning of the smoke rings he had sent up, the wind over the hill. Now for some music, said Thorin. Bring out the instruments. Keely and Feely rushed to their bags and brought back little fiddles. Dory, Nori, and Ori brought out flutes from somewhere inside their coats. Bomber produced a drum from the hall. Biffer and Bofer went out too and came back with clarinets that they had left among the walking sticks. Dwalin and Bolin said, Excuse me, I left mine in the porch. Just bring mine in with you, said Thorin. They came back with violas as big as themselves, and with Thorin's harp wrapped in green cloth. It was a beautiful golden harp, and when Thorin struck, the music began all at once. So sudden and sweet that Bilbo forgot everything else, and was swept away into the dark lands under the strange moons, over the water and very far from this hobbit hole under the hill. The dark came into the room from the little window that opened in the side of the hill. The firelight flickered, it was April, and still they played on, while the shadow of Gandalf's beard wagged against the wall. The dark filled all the room, and the fire died down, and the shadows were lost, and still they played on, and suddenly, First one and then another began to sing as they played. Deep-throated singing of the dwarves in place, in the deep places of their ancient homes. And this is like a fragment of their song, if it can be like their song without their music. You just want to read so, it? Huh? You just want to read it? You want to read it or do you want to try and sing it? Because this one's super nah. long. Yeah, just just read it. Okay. Far over the misty mountains cold, to dungeons deep 
and caverns old. We must away ere break of day to seek the pale enchanted gold. The dwarves of yore made mighty spells while hammers fell like ringing bells. In places deep where dark things sleep, in hollow halls beneath the fells. For ancient king and elvish lord, their many gleam of golden hoard, the shaped and wrought and light they caught, to hide in gems on hilt of sword. On silver necklaces they strung, the flower stars on crowns they hung, the dragon fire in twisted wire, they meshed the light of moon and sun. Far over the misty mountain cold, to dungeons deep and caverns old. We must away ere break of day, to claim our long-forgotten gold. Goblets they carved there for themselves, and harps of gold where no man delves. They lay there long, and many a song was sung unheard by men or elves. The pines were roaring on the height, the winds were moaning in the night. The fire was red, it flaming spread, the trees like torches blazed with light. The bells were ringing in the dale, the men looked up with faces pale, the dragon's ire more fierce than fire laid low their towers and houses frail. The mountains smoked beneath the moon, the dwarves they heard the tramp of doom. They fled their hall to dying fall, beneath his feet, beneath the moon. Far over the misty mountains grim, to dungeons deep and caverns dim, we must away ere break of day, to win our hearts and gold from him. Real quick, before we go on, I do want to just start reading. Did not realize that was about Smaug. Yeah, yeah. The, the Misty Mountains. The whole thing is did, about Smaug. Did not realize that song was about him. That's crazy. Yeah. The more you know. All right. <coughs> well, because it's, be, it's meant to be a precursor to the, I, to the adventure. And I get that now. But <laughs> literally, it wasn't until now. <laughs> well, because in the cartoon and in the film, they don't sing the whole song. So. Right, right. Yeah. I, that's probably why. As they sang, the hobbit felt the love of beautiful things made by hands and by cunning and by magic, moving through him, a fierce and jealous love, the desire of the hearts of dwarves. Then something tookish woke up inside of him, and he wished to go and see the great mountains, to hear the pine trees and the waterfalls, to explore the caves and wear a sword instead of a walking stick. He looked out the window, the stars were out in the dark sky above the trees. He thought of jewels of the dwarves shining in dark caverns. Suddenly, in the wood, beyond the water, a flame leapt up. It's probably somebody lighting a fire. And he thought of plundering dragons settling on his quiet hill and kindling all to flames. He shuddered. A very quickly, and very quickly, he was playing Mr. Baggins of Bag End under the hill again. 
He got up, trembling. He had less than half a mind to fetch the lamp, and more than half a mind to pretend to, and go and hide behind the beer barrels in the cellar and not come out again until all the dwarves had gone away. Suddenly he found that the music and the singing had stopped, and they were all looking at him with eyes shining in the dark. Where are you going? said Thorin, in a tone that seemed to show that he guessed both halves of the hobbit's mind. What about a little light? said Bilbo apologetically. We like it in the dark, said all of the dwarves. Dark for business, no, dark for dark business. There are many hours before dawn. Of course, said Bilbo and sat down in a hurry. He missed the stool and sat in the fender, knocking over the poker and the shovel with a crash. Hush, said Gandalf. Let Thorin speak. And this is how Thorin began. Gandalf, Dorves, and Mr. Baggins, we are met together in the house of our friend and fellow conspirator, this most excellent and audacious hobbit. May the hair on his toes never fall out. All praise his wine and ale. He paused for breath and for polite remark from the hobbit. But the compliments were lost on Bilbo. He was wagging his mouth in protest at the beginning, at being called audacious, and worst of all, fellow conspirator. Though no noise came out, he was so flummoxed. So Thorin went on. We are met to discuss our plans, our ways, means, policies, and devices. We shall soon, before the break of the day, start on our long journey. A journey for um, which some of us, or perhaps all of us, except our friend and counselor, the ingenious wizard Gandalf, may never return. It is a, it is a solemn moment. Our, so, our object is, I take it, well known to all of us, to establish... What is that word? To estimable? Yeah. Hmm. <clears throat> oh, I wasn't reading the full sentence. To the estimable Mr. Baggins, and perhaps to one or two of the younger dwarves. I think I should be right in the naming Killy and Philly, for instance. The exact situation at the moment may require a little brief explanation. This was Thorin's style. He was an important dwarf. If he had been allowed, he would probably have gone on this way until he was out of breath. Without telling anyone there anything that was not known already. But he was rudely interrupted. Poor Bilbo couldn't bear it any longer. At May Never Return, he began to feel a shriek coming up inside, and very soon it burst out like the whistle of an engine coming out of a tunnel. All dwarves sprang up, knocking over the table. Gandalf struck a blue light on the end of his magic staff, and in its firework glare the poor little hobbit could be seen kneeling on the hearth, shaking like a jelly that was melting. Then he fell flat on the floor, 
and kept on calling out struck by lightning struck by lightning over and over again and that was all the way they could get out of him for a long time so they took him and laid him out of the way on the drawing room sofa with a drink at his elbow and they went back to their dark business excitable little fellow said Gandalf as he sat down again gets funny queer fits but he is one of the best one of the best as fierce as a dragon in a pinch if you have ever seen a dragon in a pinch you will realize that this was only poetical exaggeration applied to any hobbit even to old Took's great great grand uncle Bullroar who was so huge, for a hobbit, that he could ride a horse. He charged the ranks of goblins of Mount Graham in the Battle of Greenfields and knocked their king, Golfimble's head clean off with a wooden club, and it sailed a hundred yards through the air and went down a rabbit hole. And in this way, the battle was won and the game of golf was invented in the same moment. That's really funny <laughs> in the meanwhile however Bullroarer's gentler descendant was reviving in the drawing room after a while a drink he crept after a while and a drink he crept nervously to the door of the parlor this is what he heard Glowen speak Humph. or some snort or some snort more or less like that Will he do, do you think? It is all well, very well for Grandolf. Ooh, wow. Gandalf. To talk about this hobbit being fierce. But one shriek like that in a moment of excitement would be enough to wake a dragon. End all his relatives. And kill the lot of us. I think it sounded more like a fright than excitement. In fact, if it had not been for the sign on the door... I should have been sure we had come to the wrong house. As soon as I clapped eyes on the little fellow bobbing and puffing on the mat, I had my doubts. He looks more like a grocer than a burglar. Then Mr. Baggins turned the handle and went in. The took side had won. He suddenly felt he would go without bed and breakfast to be thought fierce. As the little fellow bobbing on the mat, it almost made him really fierce. Many a time afterwards, the Baggins part regretted what he did now, and he said to himself, Bilbo, you are full, and you walked right in and put your foot in it. Pardon me, he said. If I have overheard words that you were saying... I don't pretend to understand what you are talking about or your reference to burglars, but I think I am right in believing. This is what he called being on his dignity. That you think I am no good. And I will show you. I have no signs on my door. It was painted a week ago. And I am quite sure you have come to the wrong house as soon as I saw your funny faces on the doorstep. I had my doubts, but treat it as the right one. Tell me what you want done, and I will try it, 
If I have to walk from here to east, to the east of east, on and fight the wild wereworms in the last desert, I had a great, great, great uncle once, Bullroar, took, and yes, yes, but that was a long ago, said Glowen. I was talking about you, and I assure you that there is a mark on this door. The usual one in the trade, or used to be. Burglars wants, burglar wants a good job, plenty of excitement and reasonable reward. That's how it is usually read. You can say expert treasure hunter instead of burglar, if you like. Some of them do. It's all the same to us. Gandalf told us that you were there. Told us that there was a man of the sort in these parts looking for a job at once. And that he had arranged for a meeting here this Wednesday, tea time. Of course, there is a mark. Said Gandalf. I put it there myself. For good reason. You asked me to find the 14th man for your expedition. And I choose Mr. Baggins. Just let anyone say I choose the wrong man or the wrong house, and you can stop at 13 and have all the bad luck you like. Or go back to digging coal. He scowled so angry at Glowen that the dwarf huddled back in his chair, and when Bilbo tried to open his mouth to ask a question, he turned and frowned at him and stuck out his bushy eyebrows, Till Bilbo shut his mouth tight with a snap. Let's have no more argument. I have chosen Mr. Baggins, and that ought to be enough for all of you. If I say he is a burglar, a burglar he is, or will be when the time comes. There's a lot more in him than you guess, and a deal more than he has any idea himself. You may, possibly, possibly. Oh, <laughs> you may all live to thank me yet. Now, Bilbo, my boy, fetch the lamp and let's have a little light on this. On the table, in the light of a big lamp with a red shade, he sprayed a piece of parchment rather like a map. This was made by Thor, your grandfather Thorin. He said in answer to the dwarves' excited questions. It is a plan of the mountain. I don't see that this will help us much, said Thorin disappointedly after a glance. I remember the mountain well enough and the lands about it, and I know where Mirkwood is and the withered heath, where the great dragon Dragon's bread. There is a dragon marked in red on the mountain, said Balin. But it will be easy enough to find him without that, if you ever were, if we ever arrive there. There is one point that you haven't noticed, said the wizard. And that is the secret entrance. You see the rune on the west side, 
and the hand pointing at it from the other rooms. That mark, <clears throat> that marks a hidden passage that to the lower halls. Look at the map at the beginning of this book, and you will see there the rooms. It may be, oh, <clears throat> it may have been secret once, said Thorin. But now, but how do we know that it is secret any longer? Old Smaug has lived there long enough now to have found anything there is to know about those caves. He may, but he can't have used it for years and years. Why? Because it's too small. Five feet high to the door, and three may walk abreast. Abreast? Abreast? Yeah, like say, uh, shoulder to shoulder. Say the rooms by Smaug could not creep into a hole that size. Not even when he was young, not even when he was a young dragon. Certainly not after devouring so many of the doors and men of Dale. Wow. It seems, oh, there's Bilbo. It seems a great big hole to me. Squeaked Bilbo, who had no experience of dragons and only of hobbit holes. He was getting excited and interested again, so that he forgot to keep his mouth shut. He loved maps, and in all his hall, there hung a large one of the country road with all his favorite walks marked on it in red ink. How could such a large door keep be kept secret from everybody outside apart from the dragon? He asked. He was the only little ho- he was only a little hobbit, you must remember. In lots of ways, said Gandalf. But in what way this one has been hidden, we don't know, without going to see. From what it says on the map, I should guess there is a closed door which has been made to look exactly like the side of the mountain. That is the usual door... Door? 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 Dwarves. Yeah. I think that is right, isn't it? Quite right. Said Thorin. Also, went on Gandalf. I forgot to mention that with the map went a key, a small and curious key. Here it is, he said, and handed to Thorin a key with a long barrel and intricate wards made of silver. stuck like that said your eyes are gonna get stuck like that <clears throat> reread your line uh he said and handed to thorin a key with a long barrel and intricate wards made of silver keep it safe indeed i will said thorin and he fastened it upon a fine chain that hung about his neck and under his jacket now things begin to look more hopeful. This news alter them much. This news alters them much for the better. So far, we have no clear idea what to do, 
We thought of going east as quiet and careful as we could, as far as long as, as far as the long lake. After that, the trouble would begin. A long time before that, if I know anything about the roads east, interrupted Gandalf, we might go from there along the river running. Went on Thorin, taking no oh, notice. We might go from there upon, along the river running. Went on Thorin, taking no notice. Uh, is this Thorin still? Maybe. Mm-hmm. And so, to do the ruins of Dale, the old town in the valley there, under the shadow of the mountain. But we had none of us liked the idea of the front gate the river runs right out of it through the great cliff at the south of the mountain and out of it comes the dragon too far too often unless he has changed his habits that would be no good said the wizard not without a mighty warrior even a hero I tried to find one, but warriors are too busy fighting one another in distant lands. And in this neighborhood, heroes are scarce. Or simply not to be found. Swords in these parts are mostly blunt, and axes are used for trees, shields as cradles, or dish covers. And dragons are comfortably far off. They're and therefore or, legendary. All right. That is why I settled on burglary, especially when I remembered the existence of a side door. And here is our little Bilbo Baggins, the burglar, the chosen and selected burglar. So let's get on and make some plans. Very well, said Thorin. Supposing the burglar expert gives us some ideas or suggestions. He turned with mock politeness to Bilbo. First, I should like to know a bit more about things. Oh, wait, is that uh, Bilbo? That is, this yeah, is Bilbo, Bilbo. yeah. Uh, first, I should like to know a bit more about things. He said, feeling all confused and a bit shaky. But so far, still tookishly determined to go on with things. I mean, uh, about the gold and the dragon. And all that, uh, and how it's got there, and who it belongs to, and so on, and further. Bless me, said Thorin. Haven't you gotten a map? And didn't you hear our song? And haven't we been talking about all this for hours? Bilbo again? Bilbo, yep. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> all the same I should like it all plain and clear he said obstinately putting on his business manners usually reserved for people who tried to borrow money off of him and doing his best to appear wise and prudent and professional and live up to Gandalf's recommendation also I should like to know about the risk out of pocket expenses time acquired uh Remunerations? Rem remunerations? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
and so forth. By which he meant... What am I going to get out of it, and am I going to come back alive? Oh, very well, said Thorin. Long ago, my, in my grandfather Thor's time, our family was driven out of the far north and came back with their wealth. Came, went, and came back with all their wealth and their tools to this mountain on the map. It had been discovered by my far ancestors, Thrain the Old. But now they mined and they tunneled and they made huger halls and greater workshops. And in addition, I believe they found a good deal of gold and great many jewels too. Anyway, they grew immensely rich and famous. And my grandfather was king under the mountain again and treated the great reverence by the mortal men who lived to the south and were gradually spreading up the running river as far as the valley overshadowed by the mountain they built the merry town of dale there in those days kings used to send for our smiths and, re and reward even the least skillful most richly fathers would beg us to take their sons as apprentices and pay us handsomely especially in food supplies which we never bothered to grow or find for ourselves. Altogether, those who were good, those were good days for us, and the poorest of us had money to spend and to lend, and leisure to make beautiful things just for the fun of it. Not to speak of the most marvelous and magical toys, the likes of which not to be found in the world nowadays. So my grandfather's halls became full of armor and jewels and carvings and cups and the toy market of dale was the wonder of the north is this still thorn uh i'm not sure hmm. i'm just gonna keep reading this in undoubtedly that was what brought the dragon dragons steal gold and jewels you know from men and elves and dwarves wherever they can find them and they guard their plunder as long as they live, which is practically forever, unless they are killed. And never enjoy a brass ring of it. Indeed, they hardly know a bit of work from a bad, a good bit of work from a bad, though they usually have a good notion of the current market value. That's funny. And they can't make things for themselves. Not even pa pa pause for a second, bro. Pause. Pause, pause, pause. Dude, you're screaming too loud. Like, I'm getting audio spikes bigger from you when you're screaming than what I'm getting from me talking. So once I'm done, and actually, it's one in the morning. You need to go to bed. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Uh. Good notion of my value, blah, 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 blah. Um, There were lots of dragons in the north. They can't make things for themselves, not even mend a little loose scale on their armor. There were lots of dragons in the north those days, and gold was probably getting scarce up there. With the doors flying south and getting killed, and all the general waste and destruction that dragons make going from bad to worse. 
There was a most there was a most specially greedy, strong and wicked worm called Schmaug. One day he flew into the air and came south. The first we heard of it was a noise like a hurricane coming from the north. The pine trees on the mountain creaking and cracking in the wind. Some of the dwarves who happened to be outside, I was one luckily. A fine adventurous lad in those days, always wandering about, and it saved my life that day. Well, from a good way off, we saw the dragon settle on the mountain in a spout of flame, and he came down to the slopes, and when he reached the woods, they were all went up in fire. By that time, all the bells were ringing in Dale, and the warriors were arming. The dwarves rushed out of the great gate, but there was the dragon waiting for them. None escaped that way. The river rushed up in the steam and fog fell on Dale. In the fog, the dragon came on them and destroyed most of the warriors. The usual unhappy story. It was only too common in those days. Then he went back and crept in through the front gate and routed out all the halls and lanes and tunnels and alleys and cellars and mansions and passages. After that, there were no doors left alive inside and he took all their wealth for himself. Probably, for that is the dragon's way. He was—he has piled it all up in a great heap far inside and sleeps on it for a bed. Later he crawled out of the great gate and come and come. Later he used to crawl out of the great gate and come by night to dale and carry away people, especially maidens, to eat until Dale was ruined and all the people dead or gone. What goes on there now I don't know for certain, but I don't suppose anyone lives nearer the mountain than the far edge of the lake, long lake nowadays. Jesus, this man is long-winded. <clears throat> Assuming this is still him. Mm -hmm. The few of us that were well outside sat and wept in hiding and cursed smog. And there we were unexpectedly joined by my father and my grandfather with singed beards. They looked very grim, but they said very little. When I asked how they got away, they told me to hold my tongue and said that one day in the proper time, I should know. After that, we went away and we have had to earn our livings as best we could up and down the lands after enough sinking as well as the blacksmith work or even coal mining. But we have never forgotten our stolen treasure, and even now, when I will allow, we have a good bit laid by and are not so badly off. Here, Thorin stroked his gold chain around his neck. We still mean to get it back and to bring our curses home to Smaug, if we can. I've often wondered about my father and grandfather's escape. I see now they must have had a private side door, which only they knew about. But apparently they had made a map, and I should like to know how Gandalf got a hold of it, and why it did not come down to me, the rightful heir. I did not get a hold of it. I was given it. Said the wizard. Your grandfather, Thor, was killed, you remember 
in the mines of Moria by the Azog the Goblin. Curse his name, yes, said Thorin. And Thrain, your father, went away on the 21st of April, a hundred years ago, last Thursday, oddly specific, and has never been seen by you since. True, true, said Thorin. Well, your father gave me this to give to you, and if I have chosen my own time and way for handing it over, you can hardly blame me considering the trouble I had to find you. Your father could not remember his own name when he gave me the paper, and he never told me yours. So on the whole, I think I ought to be praised and thanked. Here it is. Said he, handing the map to Thorin. I don't understand. Said Thorin, and Bilbo felt he would have liked to say the same. The explanation did not seem to explain. Your grandfather, said the wizard slowly and grimly, gave the map to his son for safety before he went to the mines of Miora. Moria. Your father, Moria. What did I say? Moria. Uh, Moria? Whatever. Yeah. Your father went away to try his luck with the map after your grandfather was killed. And lots of adventures and most unpleasant sort he had but never got near the mountain. How he got there, I don't know, but I found him in pri uh, a prisoner in the dungeons of the Necromancer. Whatever were you doing there? Asked Thorin with a shudder, and all the dwarves shivered. Never you mind. I was finding things out, as usual, and a nasty, dangerous business it is was even I, Gandalf, only just escaped. I tried to save your father, but it was too late. He was witless and wandering, and had forgotten almost everything except the map and the key. Oh man. We have long ago paid the goblins of Mora said Thorin. We must give a thought to the necromancer. Don't be absurd. He is an enemy far beyond the powers of all the dwarves put together. If they could all be collected again from the four corners of the world. The one thing your father wished was for his son to read the map and use the key. The dragon and the mountain are more than big enough tasks for you. Hear, hear, said Bilbo, and accidentally said it aloud. Uh, oh. It's all the dwarves. Okay. Hear what? They all said, turning towards him, and he was so flustered that he answered, Hear what I have got to say what's that they asked well I should say that you ought to go east and have a look around after all there is the side door and dragons must sleep sometimes I suppose 
If you sit on the doorstep long enough, I dare say you will think of something. And, well, don't you know, I, I think we have talked long enough for one night. If you see what I mean, what about bed and an early start and all that? I'll give you a good breakfast before we go. Before we go, I suppose you mean. Said Thorin. Aren't you the burglar and isn't sitting on the doorstep your job? Not to speak of getting inside the door. But I agree about bed and breakfast. I like six eggs with my ham when starting on a journey. Fried, not poached, and mind you don't break them. Break them. After yeah, all the other... Yeah, yeah. Dwarves are sort of like the snotty customers of, of, uh, I, of this yeah, world. I, I, thought, I thought elves were, but man, I'm starting to think that's not accurate. After all the others had ordered their breakfast without so much as a please, which annoyed Bilbo very much, they all got up. The hobbit had to find room for all of them and filled all his spare rooms and made beds on chairs and sofas before he got them all stowed and went to his own little bed, very tired and not altogether happy. One thing he did make his mind up about was not to bother to get up very early and cook everyone else's wretched breakfast. The tookishness was wearing off and he was not quite so sure that he was going on any journey in the morning. As he lay in bed, he could hear Thorin still humming to himself in the best bedroom next to him. Far over the misty mountains cold to dungeons deep and caverns old we must in his ears, and it gave him very uncomfortable dreams. It was long after the break of day when he woke up. And there we have the end. Ooh. Chapter one of The Hobbit. These are definitely going to be longer episodes for yes, sure. Are. Yes, they are. <clears throat> so for all of, you, all of you out there who are complaining about our episodes being too long, they are not getting shorter anytime soon. That is for not, sure. Not that we've had a single complaint about long episodes. As a matter of fact, we get regular uh, complaints from uh, Marcus about uh, the episodes needing to be a little bit longer. That's funny. Well, so, he's getting it. That's happening. Yeah. For so, sure. So I do want to point out uh, something that you, you may not have noticed. So do you, do you, do you recognize the Minds of Moria? Uh, uh, yeah, that's... that's um, the fellowship goes through those, don't they? In the Lord correct, of the correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and you'll note that he says we we paid the goblins, uh, of of Moria long ago. Right. 
So oh, I like that. in <laughs> yeah in the time in the time of of Bilbo Baggins, it's been probably about fifty years if I remember correctly. Uh, since the goblins of the mines of Moria have been wiped out by Thorin and what is remaining of like people who. Right. You, you, and yeah. uh, at that time, he puts one of his cousins in charge of the Mines of Moria, and his cousin's uh, great, or not great-grandson, but grandson, ends up being the one who runs the Mines of Moria, and then that person, that dwarf, will uh, is also the cousin of Gimli from mm. the Fellowship. Very good, very good. So Gimli is a second cousin of Thorin. Of Thorin, yeah. That's cool. I like that. Uh, and to, then there. Way to go! Way to go! Tolkien. So and the, and then you also you also note the reference of the necromancer. No. I don't. You know, you, you, so you don't know who the necromancer is, right? So we'll we'll do we'll do like a we'll, we'll do a like a video for Endless Epics YouTube channel where I go over some of these like vaguer Samarillian characters because it's not pertinent to the story so we're not gonna go over it right now. Yeah, yeah but that's fine. But uh, he he tortures Thrain, who is Thorin's father, right, uh, to a point of death. Yeah, yeah. and he's responsible yeah. for a bunch of other people uh, getting killed, and he's also partially responsible. For the revival of the Eye of Sauron. Okay. All right. All so right. with this, this is something that we'll have to do like in a in a different thing because it's not yeah. pertinent to this story. Yeah, yeah. But there's so much in the world of of Lord of the Rings that just doesn't get any sort of love or attention, and right. I'm I'm really I'm really excited for us to do like some little side videos. Um, yeah, probably no, for either for YouTube or for Patreon, but um, of going over like the vaguer lores of yeah. uh, of Lord of the Rings, because there's so much cool stuff in the Samarillion that just never gets mentioned because it's just too complicated for yeah. most mediums. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot. I get it, but uh, I, that's what we're here. So I, I I stayed off telling you throughout the the rest of the episode so that we wouldn't have to stop reading. But this entire episode, your mic to my ear has been your camera microphone, and it has been absolutely grating. <laughs> well, you're welcome for that. Um... It has been more tinny than it usually is. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. I'm happy to hear so, that. I bet you are but, too. But something, something I want to, I want to just bring up while we're while we're here, just as a, a summary, because I don't really have anything to add. Um, there's a bunch of stuff about like um, that, you, that you don't really realize is that the mark that Gandalf put on Bilbo's door was not so that the dwarves would know that that was the right place to go, but it was the mark of thieves or burglars in the underground, so that people could come and hire them should they need somebody to to steal or murder for them. Right. That's uh, which. If, if this were not Bag End, right, uh, and there was, you know, it wasn't just like the peace, most peaceful place on the planet. Yeah. Um, very easily could have gotten Bilbo in some trouble. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Like had, had just like but, all, all sorts of ne'er do wells showing up on his doorstep to but, to yeah. hire him for unpleasant reasons. G- Gandalf is a is a uh, uh, smart dude, so I'm sure I'm sure he yeah. thought of that. I'm sure he uh, thought of that before before marking up the home <laughs> of Baggins. Uh, and there's so much neat stuff in in the book, and it, see, this is why I have such a hard time when people say that. The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit are boring, because yeah, that was really long, and there's probably well, yeah. there's probably ten paragraphs describing people's coats. But see, well, I I, did, I disagree though, because like I'm comparing this to The Witcher right now, and I'm enjoying The Witcher, but I preferred this scene, which was uh, maybe half as long, almost maybe almost as long as as the part two part two of. Well, this is this was twenty eight pages in total, right? And I, the that that Witcher episode, that Witcher <clears throat> part, was probably like I don't know what forty maybe 30, 32 pages, I believe, was how many it was. So, I I I, I don't know. I um, I felt see. Like this I was... I personally I I like how. Dis- well, but what, I, what I'm getting at is, like, because they're both very descriptive, but I felt more like the information that I was getting was pertinent to the story. Like, it was, it was, because there's a lot of characters we just got introduced to here. And, like, granted, I feel like most, like, I, I don't remember, uh, you know, I know there's, but, like, you like you deal with these characters throughout this book. So that's thirteen characters that you're dealing with, not including Gandalf and 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 uh, Bilbo. Uh, uh so um, you guys, you guys, there's gonna be a weird little gap right here, um, <laughs> because. All of the power went out in Los Angeles uh, in the middle of Smith making his point. Yeah. And uh, after that fact, Smith then took a week-long vacation to Northern California. And Correct. now there is a, uh, a significant gap in not only the continuity of the discussion, but also in the stream of consciousness that led to that discussion. Oh, absolutely. I... I... I think I kind of got to the end of my point. I probably was waiting for you to respond, and I had. Which, but, more by to the say. way, there previous, like just before this, there's going to be a long segment where Smith is just talking to himself. Yep. And I'm gonna leave that in, so okay. that you guys can see how 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 good Smith is at carrying a conversation with himself. Um, I, look, uh, here's what happened. I just assumed that Discord was being wonky because it is. And I was just like, look, he froze. I'm just going to keep this going. It's going to be great. No no gaps. It'll be awesome. No one will even know that you froze on my end. And, and now there's a week-long gap in the conversation. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so what we were getting at at the end of last week, or, or at the end of the last recording session, rather, is that um, this 
the Hobbit is written in a very similar fashion, uh, both thematically and detail-wise, as yeah. the Witcheroos. Very much. But so. when it comes to the Hobbit and most of the writings of Tolkien, we we can agree that the details, even though they are superfluous, feel necessary. Yeah, it it draws you into the story and, and with the characters. Like it makes you feel like you're sitting there observing these things as they're happening. Not like someone is like you're sitting in a lecture being told about them. It it, it feels like you're you're experiencing these events and like you're recording these memories. You're like, oh like that like these buttons are weird and has these colors that match and like He's doing these things with his, with the, the bee, like there's beads in his beard and like all, all this, you know, stuff that doesn't seem like it would make, like, make sense to put in a book does. Well, because they're very, they're very human details at the end of the day. Like right. when, when you, when you see a person, like you recognize little, like prominent details about the things that a person looks like. Yeah, these absolutely. are these are some of the first things that our our lizard brain notices, and yeah. then yeah, you, when, judge, you judge, you judge. That's, yeah, so and then and then when our when our our uh, societal uh, influences then start to kick in, and we notice things like like clothing, clothing, and and eye color, and uh, facial hair, and and so on, like things that are uh, not so important to the baseline of our brain. But that are you know big signifiers of like cultural status or or positioning, as far as right. you know other other things. So what what Tolkien does very well and what C.S. Lewis does very well, that a lot of writers fail with because they try to make everything seem so fantastical and add so many similes in is they just they write about the very human details of things like the first chapter of the lion witch in the wardrobe is probably is is almost on par with this chapter as far as uh like explaining the very simple and uh cognitive details of of what it is that's going on right and you're you're also experiencing the story more or less from bilbo's perspective like obviously yeah, we have a, yeah. we have a, we have a god's eye uh, narrator, right? Of course, yeah. But you know, but at the same time, uh, we're we're seeing it primarily from the influence of Bilbo's perspective. Yeah, well, and it and it shows like it it and it it shows, and I think it's why it works so well opposed to The Witcher. Like The Witcher, and I go back because it, it was such a painful part even a chapter part the part two part two it just droned on about so many things that didn't matter literally and it and it didn't feel like it it, it didn't feel like it mattered either like that's the thing and i know that's that seems like i'm saying the same thing and i kind of am but like they literally did not matter to the story and they just didn't seem like they did as a reader well like, t take take for instance like, last week we i was referencing the uh the, the many paragraphs describing people's coats right right 
There was almost an entire page, if not two pages, that were describing the things that were flying around the throne room yeah. as Pavetta was having her fit. Correct. And it, it, it made... It, it very literally could have... Like, you could have mentioned a few key things that were, like, significant. Well, I was like, you could have, he, you could have mentioned something that, like, flew at Geralt or, like... At uh, or around the other uh, um, attendees, wizard guy. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But no, well, I just yeah, yeah. Or or even um, I can't even remember her name. The, the main. Yeah, yeah. Something that like threw her way. But my God, man, <laughs> dial well, it and, back. And and that and that's and that's what I mean is that there are there are very human details, very relatable details that can be written into a story and then yeah. there are things that Absolutely. nobody really gives a damn about like you can you can accomplish if you can accomplish the same effect with a shorter sentence good writing principles always tell you that you should yeah. right like if i yeah. if i can say the brilliantly lit beautiful glowing red and crimson flower like if i can just say it was a beautiful red flower that had tints of darker crimson in the petals. Like that is a much more satisfying sentence than what I had said before, because I'm giving necessary details to describe and allowing them to be pertinent to painting the picture in the mind. If I say, if I say all of the furniture, all of the furnishings in the throne room, which up to this point had been described fairly well, if I say all of the furnishings and trappings of the throne room were being tossed about in a wild whirlwind at the at the whim of Pavetta, right? That is the exact same thing as what it took him almost four paragraphs to explain. Right. And that's and that's where the line is. Like obviously yeah. Absolutely. explaining the, the different coats of the different dwarves isn't necessarily uh like a relevant detail but he describes the coats in lieu of describing the characters right well and because something else i think that's gonna happen here is it, it kind of shows us what his like where his focus is at the start of this book and i feel like towards the end we're gonna we're like well not towards the end just throughout the book we'll see shifts in focus from well, no, one hundred percent. And the, the the then that's what I was that's what I was I was going to get at, or what I was getting at, is that Bilbo's focus is so heavily on the details of the cloaks, is because one, this is how he's sort of coping with all of this stress, is by being a a hospitable host. Yeah. But but two, he he's he's trying to to comprehend what's going on. And the in the calmest part of all of these dwarves invading his home is him hanging up the coats. Yeah, yeah. So, so it, it's it's meant to paint for us his mindset for one, but also the the relationship he currently has with all of these strangers. Right, and see, and that's that's. You know, anybody that would want to argue that we're, we're giving a huge bias towards Tolkien, like that—that's the difference. Is like the the 
details being mentioned and and not just mentioned but like kind of put to the forefront of this chapter and every chapter to come presumably <clears throat> um is a stark contrast like we didn't learn anything we didn't we didn't feel like we like i didn't feel like Geralt was like uh, in a different mindset you know you know like there was right. no there was no Geralt like, Geralt didn't grow Calanthe didn't grow Pavetta didn't grow nobody in the scenario really grew the only thing that happened of any significance is we 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 have a precursor to the relationship between Geralt and Cyrilda right we, we, like such a minimal point of that entire section like it, it like uh, of all like it, it's that 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 takes what three paragraphs maybe kind of oh not even that that entire section is a couple like sentences a, like one page <laughs> yeah okay so like <laughs> the most arguably my audio is being so wonky right now sorry guys my audio is gonna be really weird this um arguably the most important thing about that scene or I'm sorry, uh, part doesn't even take up more than a page. Right. So, like, and, and again, I it feels like I'm kind of shitting on the Witcher here, and I kind of am. Um, because poo, because poo pooing, poo pooing on the Witcher. That's right. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> it it's uh, <laughs> that's where me. <laughs> it it can be done better. Like I, I'm enjoying the story, and and like I like the characters in the world that that is, but you know we're we're currently proving that it can be done better. Well, yeah, and, and it's, it's not, not us, but just you know what I mean. Right. It's not really fair to compare anything to Tolkien, and a lot of people. Right. A lot of people like to right. point to Tolkien as being like the the best of its time, but not really being the best overall and i i have to i have to powerfully disagree with that yeah. like there are there are a bunch of people who will say that twilight or harry potter are better properties than the hobbit or no. lord of the rings and the, while i the... i would argue that harry potter might be almost as iconic as the lord of the rings yes. none of them because of the movies because of the films yes yeah none of them literal in a in a in a literature sense none of them even contrast to what no. Tolkien and no. Lewis were doing with books and there have we have yet to have somebody in the modern era even remotely compare I, I'd have to say that probably in the, the best eye. in the public, in the public eye. eye in the public eye yeah 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 because I mean like I, even even Christopher Poloni which I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his last name right but the guy who wrote Aragon like the inheritance mm. series is was at the time one of the best written series that I had read in almost a decade, right. uh, and it was written by a fifteen-year-old boy. Yeah, yeah. And and even that is is a half contrast to the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit. Yeah, the the and that's the yeah Harry Potter is good. Uh, has no comparison to the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit, and like Twilight's not good. Um, you know, I, I've read all the books, so that this isn't coming from someone who hasn't, hasn't laid eyes on a single word. I've read every single book cover to cover. They're terrible. Uh, an, an old right, friend hold on, of ours. Hold on, hold on. Not terrible. 
they're not meant to be great works of literature. That is that is a generous they're, assessment. Well, uh, and and uh, let me let me clarify. Well, let me clarify what I'm saying. What I'm getting at by that is is they're meant to entertain a certain age group and um, uh, what's uh, how do I say this delicately? <laughs> demographic. Yeah, certain age group and certain demographic. Thank you. <laughs> I'm very tired right now, guys. I've had a very long day. Um, certain age group, certain de demographic, and and they they do that very well. Both both, and that goes that's Harry Potter and Twilight, um, but they there's no comparison. No, and the 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 interesting thing is that you you can definitely enjoy one more than the other. Like there's oh, nothing. Well, and well, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's that, that needs to be like firmly stated. Just because you like something, and you can like something, this is nothing that. Just because you like something doesn't make it bad or good. Well, uh, uh, there, I... there are there are several books that I like. I know are bad. There are several bands that I love that I know are bad. Movies, TV shows, the whole shebang. Yeah. That I know are bad. Unequivocally. Like one of, one, of the, one of the good contrasts I love to use is Weird Al Yankovic. Mm. Like Weird Al Yankovic is a spectacular musician. He has okay. a really good voice. His music yes. is terrible. Absolutely. Hundred percent intended. Yeah, and I like it. I love yeah, I yeah. love Weird Al's music, but it's it's usually really bad. He does on occasion yeah. have like a banger that goes out. Right. But in general, he he the music he puts out is trash, and I love it. Yeah, yeah. And and I love I love everything that Weird Al does because he's hilarious. Yeah. But then 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 above and beyond that, like I don't actually like Isaac Asimov's books. I I, I don't like reading Isaac Asimov's books. Who, who, who's um, AI, iRobots? Um, I've never read any of them. Yeah, I've only watched basically movies, so all, even... all of the all of the robots and like the bicentennial man, all of those mm, are Isaac Asimov's okay. books. Got it. And Isaac Asimov was writing in the same time period as, as like George Orwell and uh, the, I can never remember the author's name because it's a it's a very very Russian name, but the guy who <laughs> uh, wrote We, like writing around that same time period. Very Russian name. <laughs> Um, and I don't actually enjoy the way that Isaac Asimov writes, but yeah. he is a brilliant writer, like including subtle detail and nuance. Like the man is a brilliant writer. I don't enjoy reading his stuff, but I can appreciate that his work is brilliant and yeah, I can, yeah. and I can say that I, I, I love his work. I don't enjoy reading his work, but I can admit that it's good. No, and that's that's the thing. Like, just because you don't like something, or just because you do like something, doesn't make it bad. Doesn't make it good. Right. And and the whole uh, thing. But is there are like, things that are there are things that are objectively good or bad. One of <laughs> those things like, is yeah. being Tolkien's writing. There, right. <laughs> um, there are people who like to argue that there that you can't say that when it comes to art forms. Um, I disagree. I disagree. Oh yeah, I disagree vehemently because we we all know. 
like well and I just, any, like, any reasonable yeah. person knows when something is actually good right and when they just enjoy it but we, we but we have to stand on those soapboxes because 100%. we feel like if somebody else doesn't like what we like it invalidates the enjoyment yeah. of it and to that well i will say politely because this is the family friendly podcast you can bugger yourself right well and that's and that's not to say that um, that art isn't subjective because it is but at, at the end of the day there are identifiers for most art and I'm, I'm throwing writing in there as an art form because it is um, because I don't like you know uh, like you can become good at writing but I think some people are just born to write like that's like some people just write you know um, some people just paint uh, well yeah I mean it's like like there there Tolkien... are people who are just good at things and like don't be wrong like I there's no substitution for hard work and I'm like nobody that does hard work usually isn't not good at things I know that's not really right. weird but that that was the right way to say that. well uh, and, an, and an excellent contrast for that is actually Tolkien and Lewis were not born writers Tolkien and Lewis right put in decades of hard work learning how to write a story and crafting the nuances of their worlds and tales right which is which is probably why they are so good because they weren't good right not not being good at something is your biggest asset in to becoming good at something but on the opposite end of that you have Hemingway Hemingway was just born an absolutely beautiful writer like this man, this man right. pumped poetry out of his out of his gangrenous toenails, and was just absolutely was bleeding, bleeding poetry and and beautiful nuance in novel and 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 essay and and poetry, and uh, I mean he was a total just psychopath, yeah. but the but he he was a brilliant brilliant writer who. Who wrote torturously beautiful things? Well, I think like, he, like, there are people like that, but they are a hundred percent the exception to the rule. Oh yeah, no, no, one hundred percent. And and if you look at the lives of C.S. Lewis and Tolkien versus the life of Hemingway, they, it's a pretty stark contrast as well. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, Lewis and Tolkien were were very upstanding and serviceable men who were respected in their communities who served their countries who were uh in in very healthy and and loved relationships with both their their wives and their children and hemingway uh was married four times had eight different kids and spent the last years of his life on a u-boat chasing after nazi submarines uh with a bucket full of hand grenades and a rifle <laughs> so <laughs> that's funny there is that is quite the contrast. <laughs> it, it is it is people people who do not have to work for their abilities versus people who do will always be a stark contrast. Yeah. Because when you when you have to work to achieve something incredible, you realize the value of it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And with that being said... Yeah, I was like, we are creeping up hard on a two-hour podcast here. Oh, we're, we're, already, we're already well well at the point of an hour and 45 around, minutes. Yeah, well, the last one was an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so we're, we're, we're right there. On that note, uh, though, I want to bring too much... Go ahead. Yeah, Sign so... But yeah, that, that, with, that, with that being said, uh, it's, it is interesting that... Such a simple thing as as a bunch of un, unannounced dwarves coming into his home could be so interesting. And I actually brought this up in my Discord channel the other day when we were talking about how people overcomplicate their lives. Mm-hmm. And, and I mentioned the start of the first chapter of The Hobbit. And it's uh, that uh, this adventure begins in a hole, essentially, is how The Hobbit begins. Right. And yeah. that that simple notion sparks one of the greatest adventures in in liter, literature history, literary history, and uh, is is and will be immortalized for for at least another ten to twenty generations down the line. Oh, definitely, yeah, hundred percent. And uh, I yeah I can't wait to read through because this is if I remember right this is your first time reading through the Hobbit yeah correct yeah I've never never sat and read read through it I like I've, I've you know grabbed bits and pieces here and there and and obviously I've watched uh, watched movies and cartoons and um but yeah I've never never sat and read cover to cover so very excited. Very, very exciting indeed. I'm thinking we might do if if we can if we reach like a certain point on Patreon where there are enough people who are interested. I think we might do a side series reading through the Samarillion, so that you can learn some of the really incredible back history that Tolkien, because Tolkien spent almost ten years writing language and history before he ever put pen to paper on the story. Love that. That's that's insane dedication. Yeah, I mean, the man loved the world that he made, and he worked yeah. really, really hard at, at making it something truly incredible. You know, I am just like, because we do this app, but before we go, it's, I, I feel bad for any writers that come after him, which are a lot, because a lot have come after him. Um, because it's just like, he defined what fantasy is to yeah. us today and like how do you how do you sit down and like i'm not trying to discourage anybody this is just me thinking if i was a writer like how do you sit down sam sam i i yearn to be a fantasy writer how do you sit down and write about fantasy and not totally rip him off with every word that you put down what you do is you sit down at a DOS computer that's not connected to the internet, so you never have to face how much of a rip-off all of your story uh, aspects are, right. and then you make right. millions of dollars off of an HBO deal and get really, really fat and never finish a book. <laughs> that's funny. That's not what I was getting at at all, but that's really funny. I know you weren't, but you were asking, how do you, how do you, how do you not totally that's rip off Tokyo? <laughs> Yeah, that's re- that's really funny. That's really funny. All right. On well, that beautiful note. If uh, if any of you 
would uh, like to follow my brother over on his Instagram. That's at Anshon, A-N-N-N-S-E-A-N. Um, yes, and of course, big shout out to all of our patrons who support us over on Patreon. Get the podcast a little bit early and get to enjoy all of the uh, lore writings and uh, illustrations that I'm currently in the process of making with the Lady Fay. Uh, and just in general, have the satisfaction of knowing that you are spending your money on me, which is like having a sugar baby who's three times your weight. It's, it's just great. Weird. Yeah, yeah, I agree it is weird, but they do it anyways. The people who support us are weird. That's what we've learned today. Um, Fair enough. So... Uh, with that being said, you can also follow uh, Mr. Smitty here over on uh, Twitter and TikTok at Real Thick Jesus and The Real Thick Jesus, respectively. Two Q's extra thick. And of course, you can catch me at Real Slim Jesus uh, on Twitter and Instagram, as well as The Real Slim Jesus over on TikTok. And of course, Black Dragon Tavern on all of the things. Again, shout out to our patrons who support us financially over on Patreon. You guys are incredible. And a big shout out to everyone who rates, shares, and uh, uh, who uh, listens regularly through subscribing to the podcast. You guys are legends. And the final shout out for our end of podcast crew, Irewolf, uh, Selena, um, Ray, and of course the official Endless Epic reviewer, Marcus Magnus Ironside Conquest, uh, our our one friend who we have not alienated in England. Right. So, with that being said, my friends, we will see you the next time that we turn the page. So until then, stay bloodthirsty, my friends, and remember... All hail. The Black Dragons. We'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Cause I got, I got a, I got a meme to send you before we get started. Oh, fantastic! Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. You're, you're welcome, by the way. Mm. I swear to God, if this has anything to do with family, I swear to God. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> uh Jesus. Alright, that one actually was good. I'll get I'll, I'll give you that one. I'm getting so tired of those family memes, dude. Yeah, I wanted they're, to get I wanted to get in on them, but I just They're out of hand. Couldn't think of any good ones. Donculus. Um, 
I'm in the middle of eating a sandwich, man. I just wanted to send you uh, a meme about family. That wasn't even about family. So wait, we literally started recording just so that you could send me that meme? Mm-hmm. Perfect. Perfect. I'm going to make the argument that you do all of the voices for The Hobbit. I mean, I feel like I figured that's what was going to happen anyways. Well, how it was for uh, Howl. Oh my god. Kindle has a thing now, it's called WordWise. When right. I brought up The Hobbit, it says, Want help with challenging words? WordWise helps young readers and people learning English to read harder books by providing hints for the most challenging words in the book. Tap on a word with a hint to see the definition, similar words, and more. Do you want to turn WordWise on for all compatible books? No thanks. But, the word that it gave uh, at the start was privileged. And says, to be given special advantages. Perfect example. Yes, perfect example. I also love perfect how example. how privileged in the modern era has come to mean not just given special advantages, but not given disadvantages. Right. Right. Because that's, I mean, that's how that works. Mm -hmm. If you are privileged, you have no challenges at all facts no cap um send it neon send full, neon genesis evangel evangelion full send yeah that's a good show mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i agree that's a good show that's a good show all right are you ready it's a, it's a good show it's even a great show <laughs> But I'm going to need you to stop. I like that <laughs> audio. <laughs> uh, it's not about shows. It's about jokes. But <clears throat> yes, I'm ready. Okay. <clears throat> I'm not even anywhere near the first page. I thought I was a lot closer. Okay, there we go. <laughs> there it is. <sighs> Chapter one. An unexpected party. In a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit, not a nasty, dirty, wet hole filled with the ends of worms and oozy smell. Nope, I'm starting that over. I'm not going to do this that kind of justice. 